Well, church, we're going to continue in Mark's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. If you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And some of you are thinking, uh, where's the offering? Like, we always do it right before the sermon. And now I don't know what to do with myself. It's okay. Today, the offering is the invitation. The offering is the invitation, and the invitation is the offering, because we find ourselves in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and that's exactly what happens in the passage of Scripture that we're going to consider. And I, I want to warn you this morning that this story changed my life. This story changed my Christian life. Because I stopped making excuses for what it surely couldn't mean. And I just accepted it for what it says. And when I did that, I found a joy and a purpose that I had not known before. Even though I, I think I was genuinely saved, God took me to a level of purpose and meaning and joy that I had not known in my adult life. So I want to unpack for you a text that in our flesh we want to run away from. I'm just going to be honest with you. But when we obey the text, there's joy unspeakable on the other side. Are you all ready for joy unspeakable? Okay. We just saying all our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. That we have... That our hope is built on nothing less than Christ's blood and His righteousness. And the, the question this morning is, is, do we believe that? Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. You know the story well. As He, meaning Jesus, was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to Him and knelt before Him and asked Him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother, excuse me, your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then they were more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people it is impossible. Can you say impossible? Impossible. impossible. But with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. In case you missed that, Jesus. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one 
who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake and the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Would you bow with me? God, help us. Help us to listen to you this morning. Jesus, I, I pray that you would show us just what a treasure you are. God, that you would give us eyes to see what we get when we really get Jesus. And then the courage to lay down anything that we would hold on to that would prevent us from from being filled up to overflowing with the presence of Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. So since Mark chapter 8, when Jesus said, you need to lose your life for His sake and the sake of the gospel in order to find it, Jesus has been giving us some hard truths to digest. So, some hard teaching. He's been teaching us about the cost of following a king who goes to a cross to rescue his people. And in every message, we've discovered there's no following Jesus unless there is surrender to Jesus. In our marriages, we stay in there and we fight for our marriage. In our, when children come around and into the church, we don't say, go away from us. We embrace the children with all their inconveniences and their dirty diapers. But, but what counts, church, for us individually as denying ourselves and following Jesus. What counts even for the church as denying ourselves and following Jesus? I mean, what if I'm a good person? Is that good? What if I'm an upstanding citizen? No criminal history, no record. What if I'm a volunteer at a local shelter? I'm a church member. I'm a church attender. I provide well for my family. I've memorized lots of scripture. What if I've raised my kids to stay out of trouble and to get married to a husband or a wife and have a couple of kids and have a productive life here in the old United States of America? Isn't that the sort of surrender that Jesus is looking for? Just a normal, average, American dream kind of life. Isn't that surrender to Jesus? And the answer is no. Not at all. That's not surrender. And that's the lesson of the man who owned much property, verse 22. Not doing wrong things and living the good life still falls eternally short of receiving eternal life. It's described in this passage not only as everlasting life or eternal life, it's described as entering the kingdom of God, verse 23 and verse 25. It's called having treasure in heaven, verse 21, or enjoying the age to come, verse 30. You see, to have life in God and with God and for God and from God requires more than keeping the rules. It requires a relationship that only comes to, through surrender to Jesus as King and Lord of your life. Which means this morning, church, to inherit eternal life. And, and I want to add, the joy and the blessings that come with eternal life. There's three things this text shows us we've got to do. One, we must not trust in our own deeds or goodness. Second, we must give up the treasure that we have to receive the treasure that we lack. And thirdly, we must let God do the impossible in us and for us. First, we shouldn't trust in our 
deeds or our goodness. It's easy to overlook in this passage what the rich man got right. He runs to the right person. He comes with the right posture. He kneels down and he nearly asks the right question. But by verse 22, how does he depart? He's sad and he's grieving. The word sad means gloomy, like an overcast sky. This isn't what's supposed to happen when people come to Jesus. When people come to Jesus, the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and the demon possessed are freed from their possession and they believe and they call the name of the Lord. So what goes wrong in this case with this man who comes to the right person with the right posture and nearly the right question? The first sign of danger comes with these words, good teacher. Now you say, what's wrong with that? Jesus is a good teacher. And yes, he is, but, but he's so much more than that. As Aiken writes, the young man's starting point was wrong because his starting point was himself. Here, here's what the rich man is saying. Jesus said, you're good, kind of like I'm good. Since I'm good, I recognize goodness. And I know you're a good guy because I'm a good guy and I recognize good guys. So tell me, Jesus, you, you're another good guy. I'm good, right? We're good. We're good. I mean, I, I'm going to have eternal life, right? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Because we're good. Bros and all. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And that's the moment, by the way, in the story, that if the rich man was paying attention, he should have had this in his gut. These words. Uh-oh. You see, church, Jesus is not looking for our flattery. He's looking for our faithfulness. He's not a colleague at the office handing out attaboys. He's not the man upstairs. He's a different kind of good altogether. Oh, he's good, but he is God-made flesh. He's the righteousness of God robed in, he's robed in the righteousness of God for you, and he lives a perfect life for you, and he dies an atoning death for you. Jesus did not come to make you feel good about yourself. He did not come to validate your self-esteem apart from Christ. He did not come to say, you've got your life put together and just put a few tweaks on it here or there. He didn't come to validate our goodness or our good deeds. He came rather to give us the perfect righteousness that the Father Himself requires. Matthew 5, 48. Unless we are perfect like the Father is perfect, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus comes and He gives us the righteousness of God. The righteousness that we lacked and that we could not earn even if we kept all the commandments. Which raises a, another problem with the man's question. Not only does he say, Jesus, you're good like I am, and he misses the goodness of God. But secondly, he asks this question, what should I do? What can I make or perform if I should inherit eternal life? In other words, if I'm going to get into the kingdom, what can I do to do that? So Jesus takes him back to the Ten Commandments. He takes them to the last five of ten, which are about our relationships with other people. And the man says, look, I, I've got that check. I'm good. I'm like Paul over in Philippians 3.6. I'm blameless. I've kept these things from my youth on up. From the time of my bar, bar mitzvah to today, I have kept these things. And the word keep is a military term. It means to stand guard over or watch intently some, over something. So he has watched over his behavior with a military-like precision. 
And I'm concerned, church, that, that some of us are raising our kids to watch over their behavior with a military-like precision, but we're not leading them to see their utter dependence upon Christ crucified to set them free. We can't behavior management our children into the kingdom of God. The only way to get into the kingdom of God is if they receive the one who did something for them they could not do for themselves. But as Jesus proves in the Sermon on the Mount, full adherence to the law is no substitute for following Jesus. The rich man thinks his good behavior is the ultimate requirement of religion. But good behavior can never redeem a corrupt, self-righteous, and self-sufficient heart. Yes, he's not doing the wrong things, but not because his heart is right with God, just because he doesn't want to be in trouble. Eternal life does not come by what we do. It comes through what Christ has done. Those two sentences summarize the difference between Christianity and every other religion on the planet. Every other religion on the planet says, what can I do to have enlightenment? What can I do to be set free? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And Christ says, you can do nothing. You've got to receive everlasting life as a gift from the living Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life has to be received. And it only comes to those who follow Christ by treasuring Him above all other treasures. If I told you this morning, I... I, if you gave me a dollar, I'd give you a million dollars in return. How many of you would take that deal? All of you, I hope. Unless we need to go back and do some math. And yet Jesus offers us an infinitely greater exchange. If you give me your life, I'll give you myself. The living Lord of the universe. If you'll lay down whatever wealth is to you, whether it's money or time with grandchildren or a long life or health or prosperity, whatever wealth is to you, if you'll lay that down and really lay it down, you get God in exchange. That's the trade. We have to give up the treasure that we think we have in order to receive the treasure that we know we lack. In verse 21, Jesus says to a man with everything, there's one thing you lack. He says you twice because in Greek, the verb has the noun in it. And so he says that there's one thing you are really lacking. And the danger for the church is that we would think he's talking only to the rich man and not to us. Or if he's talking to us, he's talking to us about what? Our time and our talent. Have you ever noticed our tendency to do that? Jesus wants my time and my talent and my treasure down at the end. Right? From some he wants time and from some he wants talent. And only from those really super wealthy people does he want treasure. Is that what Jesus says? No, he always puts treasure first. He always puts treasure at the front of the line, not at the end of the line. And why does he do it? Because he loves us. And when he frees you from the idol of treasure, every other idol comes crashing down so much more easily. You see what Jesus says in verse 21? He doesn't say, he doesn't say I'm going to challenge you in the area of your finances because I want you to be uncomfortable. He does it specifically because he loves him. Look at verse 21. Looking at him, which means a, a fixed gaze full of consideration, pondering his soul, Jesus loved him. And why did he love him? Or how did he love him? He spoke hard truth to him. 
You say, what does it look like to speak truth in love? Does it mean to ignore the truth? Never. Jesus didn't do that. Here is speaking the truth in love right here. He's about ready to tell a rich man, you've got to get rid of all your riches if you're going to receive me. That's hard truth. And the reason he spoke hard truth is because he loved him. This man who possesses everything still lacks something. Only when he sells all that he has, only when he becomes like a vulnerable child, remember the passage from last week? Only when he becomes completely dependent upon Jesus, does Jesus come rushing in to fill every space of his life. And today, Christ is still saying to his church, and he's saying to us, one thing you lack. Are you walking through the motions, living the life, punching the clock, doing the tithe, but you still lack joy? Are you really laying what wealth is to you down so that you can take up the wealth that Christ has for you? All those commandments you've kept, rich young ruler, it's time to take it to the heart level. It's not just about not hurting the poor, it's about blessing the poor. Go take your earthly treasure, sell it all, and use it to bless the poor, and then you will have, verse 21, treasure in heaven. What this requires of us, church, is a perspective that looks to Jesus' coming again. You will have treasure in heaven. To be sure, when you get Jesus, you get the treasure. But you get the treasure in full when Jesus returns. Which means you've got to accept and assist delayed gratification. Do you really believe? Do you really have faith that the treasure of the living Lord Jesus Christ living on the inside and returning again for His church is greater than anything else you could amass in the world? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? See, the rich man is so trapped by his wealth that he ends up missing out on true riches. In human terms, this man is rich. But in God's eyes, he remains eternally poor. Then Jesus adds this command. After he says, go and sell, then he says, come, follow me. Have you found in your life that you follow what you treasure? If you're treasuring Jesus, you're going to follow Jesus. If you're treasuring the Hokies, you're going to follow the Hokies. For some of you, it's the Who's. For some of you, it's the Mountaineers. God help you. Some of us follow our investments. We know our portfolio, whether it's up, down, sideways, better than we know where we can find the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Some of us follow our grandchildren. Wherever our grandchildren are is where we've got to be. For some of us, family is the ultimate God of our life. Man, I, I've heard Christians say this, man. I don't know what I'd do without my family. Would you have Jesus? Is this on today? Y'all here? And then, students, some of us follow our followers, right? On social media. How many people have followed me on Twitter today? Did I get a hashtag? Did I get a shout out? We follow what we treasure. And Jesus tells us if we're really treasuring Him, then it shouldn't be any issue to follow Him. And following Him means giving up the treasure that we have to receive the treasure that we lack. This is an ongoing disposition of the Christian life. He doesn't say, come follow me once. The word is in the present tense. Keep on following after me. Which means he doesn't just call us to pray a sinner's prayer one day and get into the church and do nothing. It's a daily disposition of Jesus. What do you want me to lay down for you today? The only way to find eternal security is to stop worshiping financial security. 
Receiving what we lack demands letting go of what we think we have. And when that happens, Jesus comes and fills the eternal emptiness of our lives with His very self. It's not an accident that there was no room for Jesus in Bethlehem. It's, a, it's an analogy for our lives. There's no room for Christ our King because everything else is crowding Him out. The one who is more satisfying and more reliable and infinitely more lasting than all other treasures. Do you realize anything else you treasure, it's going to fade away? Jesus is the only thing that lasts forever. And Jesus, following Jesus, by the way, never begins with a negotiation. Well, Jesus, what can I hang on to and still follow you? I mean, even the rich, even the rich man knows that. He doesn't like, he is not like, Jesus, are you serious? How about we go 50% on this thing? He understands that following Jesus is surrender. It's all or nothing. And this is why Jesus graciously addresses the wealthy man's treasure first. Church, we can't follow Jesus while we're possessed by our possessions. Jesus has come to free us from having our hearts claimed by something lesser than himself. Jesus alone is the treasure of heaven who becomes our treasure in heaven when we abandon all other treasures and follow him. And I, I wanted to do something for this message and I failed to do it. I wanted to go buy about 500 dominoes. Do you all know what dominoes are? Hey, did you ever as a child set up a bunch of dominoes in a line and make a nice little design and pattern? Now, if you set them up right and you put them on a hard surface, if you knock over the lead domino, every other domino is going to fall. But some of us in our Christian life, we've got that one big lead domino. And guess what? The only way the first domino falls is if somebody comes and pushes it. And Jesus pushes our button where it's hardest to get it to fall. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's family. Some of you, it's grandkids. Some of it's a promotion. It's all sorts of things. And what Jesus says to you is whatever the hardest domino is to fall, that's the one I'm going to put at the front of the line. And you got to hand that one over. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be ugly. And it's going to be difficult. And you're going to want to hang on. And you're going to say, this is impossible. And the moment that you surrender that one to Jesus, guess what happens to the rest of the dominoes? They just begin to fall. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing when the stuff of our lives begins to bow down and surrender to King Jesus because whatever that big old domino is if you can visualize that if I had given you a domino write it on the back of the domino Jesus today I'm giving you the biggest domino of my life and I'm trusting that you're going to knock every other thing down as I surrender whatever I am all that I am to you no matter what you want out of me Following Jesus always involves a significant and personal cost. Do you remember Abram? He calls Abram to leave his homeland and to go where? To a land that I will show you. He didn't even tell him at first. He tells fishermen to leave their nets behind. He calls tax collectors to get up from their tax collecting tables. And he tells the rich man to become poor if he wants to receive true riches. And I believe in a country like ours that he is calling Christians living and working and retired in the wealthiest country in history to loosen our grip on what we think we have so that we can be filled up to overflowing by the treasure who never disappoints. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He spent his life in China, died in China. He built the China Inland Mission, blessing many, many people. Here's what he said. 
God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold. And that is helpless dependence upon Him. Are you really depending on Christ this morning? Now some of you are saying, it's impossible. I, I, this domino is too big. It's too weighty. I can't let Jesus knock it over. And guess what? You're right. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 27. Do you see it? With man, this is impossible. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The rich man looks only to his own resources. And he walks away sad and eternally poor. His gold is his God. And as Keller writes, it was the center of his identity. To lose his money would have been to lose himself. What's the domino that's impossible for you right now? With God, it is possible. So look at number three. The third point is this. We must let God do the impossible in us and for us. We must let God do the impossible in us and for us. Would you bow with me for a second? I am. Uh, I want to pray for this lady and, and get, my, get my attention refocused. God, we love you. We thank you that you have come for us and that you have shown us the great treasure that you are. God, for this lady who is, uh, is coughing and, and uh, struggling right now, God, we pray that she get the attention that she needs and that she would be okay. God, uh, give her your presence right now. Give her peace. And Lord, as we, we conclude this message, give us hearts and minds and ears that are riveted to how awesome and beautiful you are. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What Christ calls us to do in order to enjoy his treasure is impossible. Unless God does it within each and every one of us. And I know what you're thinking. But Daniel, you're not saying Jesus is telling everybody to sell everything they have and give it away, right? Because that would be impossible. And you're right. God is not calling all of us to sell all that we have and give it all away. But He does call every single disciple to impossible levels of sacrifice. Wealth breeds confidence in ourselves and we must abandon confidence in ourselves to receive salvation and enjoy salvation. I don't know what your confidence is in, your health, your wealth, but if all that we give up to follow Christ is what is easy to give up, are you here church? If all we give, to, give up to follow Christ is what is easy to give up, then let me ask you a question. How do we actually know we're following Christ? If, if what we give up is the stuff that's easiest to give up, then we're no different than the world. Which, by the way, did you know that the average evangelical Christian today gives two and a half percent of their income to their local church in a year's time? You know how much wealth the world gives away in an average year? About two percent. So are we really treasuring Jesus? Do we really long for the saving knowledge of the grace of God in Christ Jesus to go around the world and to reach 
people who haven't even heard his name yet? Do we long for people who are languishing in darkness in the Roanoke Valley to see the great light that we've encountered in Christ? Jesus asked for surrender and sacrifice. Why? To prove to you that he's infinitely greater than whatever we are holding on to. And some of you are holding on to something this morning and not the pastor, but the spirit of God is going to say to you in a moment, let it go. For some of you, it might be wealth. For some of you, it might be income. For some of you, it might be family. And he's going to say, let the domino go. Metaphorically, figuratively, symbolically, release it into the offering plate and let it go. And it's in that moment that you will find joy in encountering Christ that is on the other side of surrender. The real joy in the Christian life is on the other side of surrender. I used to... Uh, work in fundraising, in Christian fundraising, and I met this man who said, I mean, he was so lavishly generous, and I said, what in the world are you doing? You're crazy. And he said, I don't want to give until it hurts. I want to give until it feels good. I said, what in the world do you mean? He said, you'll find out. God will break you too one day. You'll find out. And he was right. The joy that comes on the other side of surrender is unspeakable joy. If you ever ridden a roller coaster, King's Dominion, remember the shockwave? I think they've shut it down now. That's how old I am. But back when, a hundred years ago, I went to King's Dominion and my cousin took me and I'm standing there in this line and waiting an hour and a half because it's just opened up and I want to get on the shockwave, but I don't want to get on the shockwave. You know what I mean? Because I've never been upside down before and I've never stood up on a roller coaster before. And they put those two things in one. And my cousin Tracy's like, ah, oh, you'll be fine, you'll be fine. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure I make the hype, hype department. <laughs> so an hour and a half, we're just arguing about whether or not I'm going to get on the shockwave. And I finally get up there to the platform and I'm like, no, I'm out. And she pushes me out onto the platform and now I've got a decision. I'm either going to just walk all the way through. Or am I actually going to get in there, strap in and go? And I strapped in and I went. And I never looked back from enjoying roller coasters. Roller coasters are amazing. I, Disney World is beautiful and all, but they need more roller coasters. I mean, if you're going to have a theme park, then put a bunch of roller coasters at it because they're amazing. And if I would have never given in, if I would have never surrendered all my fear and all my doubt, my anxiety, and just gotten on the stinking roller coaster, then I would have never enjoyed roller coasters. You've got to give up. You've got to surrender. I say surrender because... In verses 23 and 24, Jesus says it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. Twice, he says it. And it's especially difficult for those who are wealthy to enter because riches, get this church, riches mask our poverty. You can cover up what's really going on the, on the inside by getting a membership at the gym. By getting some counseling, by doing all sorts of things that you can pay for, when at the end of the day, what you're really lacking is a total life surrender to the living Lord Jesus Christ. The word hard in verse 23 and verse 24, by the way, means impractical. I love that. That made me so happy when I learned that this week. Because there's so often that I think the gospel is so impractical and there's churches everywhere trying to tell us that the gospel is practical. The gospel is not practical. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Who does that? Leave your, leave your fishing nets behind and follow me. Who does that? There's no practicality in the gospel. It's hard. we got churches with signs. 
biblical principles applied to your life and made practical. The gospel's not practical until you get the Spirit of God living on the inside. And that doesn't happen until we surrender to Jesus. Which terrifies even the disciples. Verse 24, they are amazed or stupefied or terrified. What Jesus asked you to do in the Bible is not going to be practical for you and your family until God first does the impossible on the inside of you. The gospel Jesus preaches is so impractical that God Himself has to come and overturn the money-changing tables of our hearts and give us new, eternity-focused eyes to treasure Christ alone. And then, as if you think, Jesus, you're joking, ha, 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 what does Jesus say? It'd be easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for someone to receive the kingdom while they're hanging on to the treasures of this world. And now the disciples are even more astonished. Verse 26, and they ask this, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? It's a great question to ask. Who can be saved? And the answer is, if it's on them and what they can do, nobody. But if it's with God and what He can do, well, anybody can be saved. The wealthy people who live exemplary lives can miss the kingdom. But if we give our lives to Christ the King, anybody can get in. So Jesus looks intently, verse 27, he looks intently at his disciples like he looked at the rich man in verse 21, and he gives them very, very good news. Do you see what he says? What is impossible for us is possible with God. Did you know this morning that God can give you a heart full of faith that looks beyond today and sees how beautiful and marvelous and wonderful and worthy that Jesus is? That Jesus can give you a heart that treasures Christ above all other treasures? And longs to live and even die for Him. Why? Because He lived and died for you. That you would never have to die again. I love verse 28. Peter's like, uh, hey Jesus. In case you missed it, we left everything already. And we are following you. Just, just want to let you know. And I thought about that all week long. And I'm like, Jesus, what are, you trying to, what are you trying to show me with this? Because that's true. They did leave everything and they are following you. And it didn't come to me till last night. As long as you're still thinking about what you left behind. You really don't yet understand the treasure that you've received in the living Lord Jesus Christ. See, some of us, we, we put it in the plate every week. And then all we're thinking about is what I could have done with it. Jesus is saying, when you really get to the place of treasure in me, you let it go. And you can't wait to let it go because you get more of me. Every time you let it go, Jesus just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And he consumes your life. The sacrifices required of those who follow Jesus are nothing compared to the blessings that He gives to us in the community of faith now and in heaven in the life to come. Missionary David Livingstone, it's a name you probably know. He's a missionary to Africa, a medical missionary. He ends up dying in Africa after covering the continent. And he says this, I never made a sacrifice. We shouldn't talk about sacrifice when we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made. Who left His Father's throne on high to give Himself for us. Yes. Those who forsake the most important things in this life to take up the most important thing at all of all, Jesus, look at how we are rewarded in verse 29 and 30. A hundredfold now in this present age, 
and with eternal life in the age to come. But there are, verse 30, persecutions. The Christian life is, is not the Buddhist life. We, we don't pretend that we get our best life now and everything is rosy and there's no, there's no pain and there's no suffering. Those things still occur. But when they happen, when we pour out our wealth and our lives for Christ for the sake of the gospel and hard times come, what do we find? We find that there's a hundred houses to replace the one that we lost. We find that there are a hundred brothers to place the, replace the one that we lost. And you say, where in the world... Did that happen? I missed that somewhere along the way. It's called the church. Do you remember what happened in Acts? They had Pentecost and the church comes together and they sell all that they have and they share as anybody has need. And suddenly the church is a family that is greater and bigger and more meaningful than even the biological family. So this morning we had some disaster relief team from Florida spending the night right here in this gym and they were driving on their way to Pennsylvania. I got a phone call a couple days ago. We need a place for our team to be able to stay as they go help some brothers and sisters in need in Pennsylvania. They stayed right here in Roanoke, Virginia. They got a house anywhere they want in the United States of America. Why? Because they are in the kingdom of God. And then some of you would say, well, what about the people who died giving their life on the mission field for Christ? Here's how I would answer John Piper says this, what Christ means, ultimately, is that He Himself makes up for every loss. If you give up a mother's nearby affection to go serve on the mission field, you get back 100 times the affection and the concern of the ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm comradeship of a brother, you get back 100 times the warmth and camaraderie from Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness that you had in your house, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that your Lord owns every house and land and stream and tree on the entire earth. Isn't this what Jesus is saying to prospective missionaries? Just this, I promise to work for you and be for you so much that you will not even be able to speak of having sacrificed anything. Hudson Taylor, that missionary to China, said this. If I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for Him? Can we do enough for a precious Savior? Church of God, when we let God do the impossible for us, He then deploys us to do impossible things in His name. When we are happy to be last so that Christ can have first place in everything, any sacrifice that He would ask of us is like nothing compared to the treasure that He is. So this morning, we have two invitations. First, I'm going to ask our ushers to come. And for many of you, you came this morning planning to make a gift of a certain amount. And here's what I want to ask you. Does that represent the joy that you found at this season in finding Christ? Does that represent the joy that you found at this season of life in finding Christ? Is perhaps God leading you, asking you, urging you through the presence of His Spirit, not the words of a preacher, but through what Christ has said? Is He taking you to a deeper place of generous giving this morning? 
But then secondly, there's some of you who come this morning and you haven't found what a beautiful, wonderful, amazing treasure Christ is. Come on up, instrumentalist. It's fine. And after the, the plates have been passed, we're going to move right into a time of offering. Of a different sort. Would you be willing in front of these witnesses this morning to come and say, Jesus, I've been hanging on to whatever it is you've been hanging on to and I'm tired of hanging on to it. And as an act of my will, surrender to your will under the Lordship of Christ, I'm coming this morning to say to every single one of these people, I'm laying my life down and taking up the life of Christ and I'm going to live the rest of my life for Him. So we're going to receive an offering and then we're going to invite you to give yourselves to Christ as an offering. I want to conclude with this statement. Two rich rulers met one day in Judea. One had some land. One was the king of all nations. One went away sad. And one went to the cross to give you everything that he had. This day, who will you follow? Would you pray with me? Jesus, do the impossible. Give us the courage to follow you, no matter what it costs, no matter what you might ask us to lay down. Christ be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.